Saturday. This is uh, May the 15th, 2021. This is Bob Bro. This is the Old Time Radio Podcast. And on weekends, we throw in, uh, from time to time, it's becoming more often than not, an Old Time Radio grab bag. And so we're playing grab bag number seven today. This is when I just go into my files and pull out shows that I normally don't listen to. In all honesty, some of these I may or may not have listened to, but I designate them for uh, future playing, and so I grab them out, and uh, we play them, and these are shows that would not fit in our normal uh, daily routine of uh, comedy on Monday, a drama on Tuesday, uh, mystery on Wednesday, and a western on Thursday, and of course we have an archive show on Sundays. But what we've got for you today is an episode of Hopalong Cassidy. Then we're going to have a Red Skelton show. We're going to follow that up with uh, 20 questions. And then finally, we're going to end things up with an episode of Wanted. So it's a pretty good lineup. And uh, from what I've listened to, now I don't cut the commercials on these. I don't uh, make extensive notes. So we don't talk about the show before the show or after the show. We just play them on the grab bag and that's exactly what we're going to do so hang on go over there and get comfortable Uh, maybe you're uh, getting ready to get by the pool another couple weeks or so and pools are going to be opening maybe you've got one in your backyard anyway whatever you want to do to relax just do it it's the weekend and enjoy these old time radio shows from the old time radio grab bag start things off with an episode of Hopalong Cassidy. First broadcast January 8th, 1950. And the name of this one is The Rainmaker of Eagle Nest Mountain. It's Hopalong Cassidy! With action and suspense out of the Old West comes the most famous hero of them all, Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd. Now here they are in the exciting story, The Rainmaker of Eagle Nest Mountain. Hoppy, I never figured it would happen like this. You thinking of deserting the bar 20 to settle down in a spot like Eagle Nest sure surprises me. California, I always said I'd find a quiet place and kind of retire, didn't I? I got a hunch Eagle Nest is it. I bet it don't even show on the map. Of all the local ideas I ever heard, this is it. Hoppy, maybe you ain't the man I thought you were. No, maybe not. I always figured you'd die with your boots on, not out in the desert swatting flies. (laughs) A man needs some peace and quiet once in a while. You know, a chance to sort of hibernate. It's bears what do that, not humans. Uh Uh-oh, look at this. 
A reward poster. Maybe Eagle Nest ain't so dead so thought. Fifty dollars reward for Lou Jackson, see Sheriff at Eagle Nest. Cheapskate, Sheriff. If I was that Lou Jackson, I'd get plenty sore. Lumping me off at a price like that. Say, what do you say, Hobby? Won't hurt to pick up a quick 50, huh? No, California. I just want to settle down. But, uh, well... Hey, Hoppy, look over there in that bush. Another one of them reward posters. One hundred dollars for the capture of Bud Bloom. I'm not interested. But uh, you sure can throw money away. Look at two more notices painted in them rocks. Must be plenty of trouble around here. Says five hundred dollars award for Griff Jess. I told you I'm not interested. But gosh, Hoppy, that ain't old Falper. Uh, who's a shooting at us? We ain't done nothing. Come from over toward that mountain. Uh, maybe it's somebody shooting at a rabbit. I may have a funny pair of ears, but I ain't no rabbit. Hoppy, it's just natural for a man like you to want to clean out these parts. Well, either somebody's aim was awful bad or we aren't the target. Listen, I judge that must be the target coming up the trail now. Come on, let's get out of sight. There he, there he goes. There he goes now. Are your eyes really that bad? Huh? That's no he, it's a she, and a very young she. Well, darn to be damned. Why dagnab them dirty... California. Taking pot shots at a gal. Let's see if this will tone them down a bit. Oh, she's out of range now, so you can hmm. relax. What do you say? We get out of range then. We ain't got much cover here. You know, I don't like that shooting at a woman. Maybe we had better have a little talk with this advertising sheriff and eagle nest. Now you're talking like the old hoppy. And I can use some of that reward money for a new pair of boots. <laughs> well, come on, then. Along Cassidy and the story of the rainmaker of Eagle Nest Mountain. Hoppy and California have ridden into Eagle Nest and find there's not much of a town to welcome them. Uh, Eagle Nest sure looks like a good place to feel lonesome in. Uh, here's an eating house, Bud Bloom's place. How about a cup of coffee? Did you say Bud Bloom? Well, that's what it says over the door. But Hoppy, Hoppy, that's the lump that was worth a hundred dollars, remember? Here's our first reward money. Well, let's have a look. Howdy. Uh, hello. Mr. Bloom? That's right. What can I do for you? Tell him to throw his hands up quick, Hoppy. Shh, not so fast. Been in this town long, Mr. Bloom? Almost ten years. Get him, Hoppy, quick. Ever hear of Lou Jackson? Why, sure. He owns that barber shop over there. Uh, you get him, Hoppy, and I'll go after the hair clipper. Don't be so fast, California. There's something funny about all this. Mr. Bloom, did you ever hear of a fellow named Griff Jessup? Of course. He runs the Buckhorn Bar across the street. Why? Is that so? Well, this is going to be handy dandy. Get them all in five minutes. It'll bring us about, uh, let me see, but about... California, these are all prominent men in this town. I ain't interested in the social standing. It's the price they'll bring. I've got a hunch. You wait here. I'll be back in a few minutes. And don't do anything. But, Hoppy, now, wait a minute. Gosh darn it, I... Uh, spoiling my easy money. Uh, hey, you, uh, Bloom? Uh, yeah? Cup of Java. They're coming right up. Well, hello, bud. Well, howdy, Griff. Uh, what'll it be? Oh, spaghetti, I guess. Did he call you Griff? Why, sure. Griff Jessup? That's right. Mm -hmm. That settles it. A man can just stand so much temptation. 
Get your mitts in the air, you two. Huh? What do you mean by Get that? Get them up quick, I said. Well, now, if it's money... It's you... money, all right. Reward money. I seen your ugly mugs tacked up to a tree just out of town. Oh, those posters. <laughs> Why, you leather-headed fool, don't pay no attention to them. <laughs> That's all a gag. I'm laughing, all right. Mostly at the thought of that 600 bucks. You'll be sorry for this big ears. Get moving, Patty, towards the sheriff's house. Huh? This is the easiest money I ever made. <laughs> Well, let's get to walking and get this over with. Walk? Who said anything about us walking? You'll do the walking. You will. Ah, oh, get going. I'm getting on my horse, well, and I'm going to drive you up there just like a bunch of doggies. Oh, boy, if the folks back there in town could only see me now. Oh, get along, little doggie, get along, little doggie. <laughs> Stop champing around like that. I've seen wild horses better behave. I tell you, we ain't gonna forget this. No, me neither. <laughs> Got a classy pair of boots to remember it by. Yes? Howdy, Sheriff. I'm California Carson. I got a dangerous bunch of outlaws here, which you offer us a reward for. What? Hey, tell this man to turn us loose, Mr. Wetzel. I'd like a chance to settle Ain't this I with him. Ain't I you two down enough yet, or will I slug them good, Sheriff? Untie those men immediately and stop calling me Sheriff. My name is Wetzel. Let those persons fly the coop. I'm hanging on to them until I see the Sheriff. Then, uh, if you ain't him... Uh, now, this is ridiculous. Uh, you're liable to have a long wait for the sheriff. He hasn't been home here in two months. What kind of screwy... The gold? sheriff has been working so consistently and constantly with his rain-making machine that he's grown quite eccentric. He can grow whatever he wants, as long as he gives me the reward. Oh, I've argued with you long enough, Lout. Lout? This gun in my hand says you'd better turn your prisoners loose immediately. It's about time. Well, if this ain't the dog... Do what the man says, California. Uh, Hoppy. Uh, I told you to leave it alone in the first place. But then reward post. I've explained to your stupid friend three times that it's all a mistake. You see, we have no need of any real law around here, and the citizens just elected Mr. Billington... Honorary sheriff in view of his great efforts to bring rain to this desert. And he ain't even a real sheriff? Oh, of course not. He posts those reward signs constantly. And all the people with intelligence know enough to just smile at them. I ought to take my 600 bucks out of your hide. Turn uh, the men loose, California. Uh, Our apologies, gentlemen. My friend here was taken in, as you can understand. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, but just keep this bum out of my place. I'll put ant poison in his next cup of java. Incidentally, my name is Cassidy. And I'm Wetzel. I came here to work with Mr. Billington on his scientific experiment. I just rode down for supplies. And now, if you'll excuse me... Rode down? Yes, the rain-making machine is on the top of Eagle Nest Mountain. Rain in the desert? Is, uh, is that the one with the sharp peak that uh, we passed on the way into town? Yes, and you mustn't think anything about the shooting you heard. The old man always tries to frighten people away when they come too close. Well, that's interesting, but I don't believe I mentioned the incident. Did you tell Mr. Wetzel about the shots we heard in California? I ain't had a chance to tell him nothing. He's too busy doing me out my reward money. I, uh, well, it's just that he usually... What's the trouble? Oh, there's no trouble. Get on with your cooking. All right. How do you do, miss? I'm Hopalong Cassidy. Well, hello, Mr. Cassidy. This is a pleasure... I'm Martha Billington. Poppy, this is the gal we show. You must be the rainmaker's daughter. Yes, my father's working so hard on that experiment. Must be cozy up there, trying to make it drizzle and shooting at people, even his own. Well, don't let us disturb you, miss. You go right on with your cooking. 
But don't work too hard. You already look uh, windblown and dusty. Yes, I... Gentlemen, if I may suggest it, you had best be on your way. You've caused enough stupid trouble already nosing into everything. We've apologized for the trouble, Mr. Wetzel, but we can't help being interested in this great experiment of Mr. Billington's. He certainly requires a lot of supplies, doesn't he? If you're referring to these kegs on the porch, they contain dynamite for the experiment. So you'd better not be around here lighting any matches unless you want to be blown out of town. Oh, I don't smoke. But you'd better be careful smoking that pipe that's sticking out of your pocket. Might blow your head off and make some people awfully happy. I warn you, Cassidy, if you persist in nosing around Eagle Nest Mountain, they'll take you out of here in a box. But I like it around here. I think I might start a little ranch once it commences to rain. I wish you would, Mr. Cassidy. Hoppy, uh, do you want me to stake the horses out or cook up some grub? Both. While you do the chores, I'm going to slip back to the sheriff's house and try to get word to Miss Martha. You know, I don't like that setup. Can't blame you. That Wetzel ain't exactly friendly, and that poor gal with her father shooting her off the mountain. I wouldn't judge him from Wetzel's story. This adds up to trouble, California, but I don't know quite what kind. <laughs> now, I was afraid you might be settling down. <laughs> well, let's see. I know the little man, and he has a little horse in there. Say, uh, what'll it be tonight, Hoppy? Pork and beans or beans and pork? <laughs> ah, let's have both. And be sure to put a little water in the coffee. I like coffee you can pour. You insinuating I ain't a good cook? You just can't tell a cup of demi-tassie from a cup of plain coffee. <laughs> I'll be back with Diamond Freddy. If I don't get blown back. Yeah, uh, Hoppy, uh, better take off your spurs. They can hear you a mile. I never take off my spurs unless I'm going to take off my boots. And I'm not going to take off my boots. All right, go ahead and be ornery then. Uh, but be careful, Hoppy. It's me, Cassidy. Oh, hello, Mr. Cassidy. I'm so glad you came back. I wanted to talk with you. That's what I figured. But don't tell me your father has to sneak around his own house. Oh, I don't know. He might. He hasn't been the same since Mr. Wetzel came here and offered to help him. Why now my father stays up on that mountain day and night. Sometimes I get so desperate I try to get up to see him. And when you do, some mysterious shots are fired at you. Why, yes. How did you know? My friend and I are riding into town and saw that little foray this afternoon. Oh, Mr. Cassidy, they tried to tell me it's my father shooting at me. I just can't believe it. Don't believe it when it's Wetzel telling you. I won't stop until I get up to see him. Next time, I'll try it at night. But that might be pretty dangerous. My father's always been a little preoccupied, and all the years of work he's put in on that rain machine have taxed him, but now he seems to be doing such terrible things. Like what, Miss? Oh, those reward posters. Why, those men are his friends. And now every week or so, there are more of them tacked up on the trail into town. Have you ever seen him tack them up? No, I, I guess he does it at night. 
And all the men make such light of it. They won't even take them down after he's posted them. What men? Oh, Mr. Wetzel's assistants. How many are there? Three, I think. He said they're metallurgical students. But everything is kept so secret now. Miss Martha, these, uh, these kegs of dynamite here on the porch. Oh, my father's always used it in his experiments. But never so much as this before. Well, there's nearly a wagon load stacked here now. They must be getting ready to do something terrible. I'm so afraid my father will get hurt. Do, uh, uh, do you mind if I have one of these kegs? Of course not. Please be careful. I never go near the stuff. Ah, it's all right. I've had it before. Well, look at this. White gunpowder. Why, I didn't know that. Hmm, tastes good, too. Just as sweet as sugar. I wouldn't worry about any explosion with this stuff. But what's it all about? I have a hunch, Miss Martha, and if I'm right, California and I are going to have one sweet time tonight. Hopalong and California are making their way up Eagle Nest Mountain to pay a visit to the Rainmaker. But as California's mutterings clearly indicate, he'd rather get into trouble at a more convenient time. I don't know why these darned emergencies can't wait till we've had our chow. My insides were so empty, even them beans smell good. Did you tie the horses up good? Stomper's pretty frisky tonight. Sure, sure, but right now I'm wishing I hadn't. If a man were supposed to walk, he would have been born with four legs. Ah, this exercise will do you good. <sighs> Hey, ain't there an easier way to get up this mountain? Well, I was afraid the main trail would be watched too closely. This is the path the jackrabbits have beaten. Well, I'm all for giving it back to them. Hey, hoppy love. See that there thing up on top? Yeah, that must be the rain-making machine. Tarnation! Did you ever see a crazier-looking contraption? Why, the way that big lever's swinging back and forth... Well, a lot I... of work has gone into that mechanism, California. Well, they say one generation laughs at what the next generation invents. Well, I think this is good for a big long laugh. If it ever brings one drop of rain to this here desert, I'll sit right down and eat the boots off of my feet. Spurs and all. <laughs> well, we have much farther to go. We better be quiet from here on and stay close to the ground. There appears to be quite some activity around the tower. Seems like there's a rustle from behind the tower. Okay, let's go over and take a look. Hey, wait a minute. There's somebody coming up this front trail. That must be what we heard. Yeah. Well, I can draw a beat on them as they come over this rise. Hey, look. Look through here. Isn't it a woman? Uh-huh. That must be the old man's daughter. Well, don't make no difference, though. Wetzel says to shoot. He said to shoot to scare her. He ain't never said to kill her. Uh, maybe you're right. Let's wait for her right here. I can handle her. Hey, quiet now. That's done. Uh, nicely done, man. Uh, what's up? Uh, hello, boss. Didn't know you were around. No, you didn't. I was following Martha up the trail. I just wanted to wait and see how you'd handle the situation. Uh, we done all right, huh? Carry her inside the tank, Joe. Uh, sure, boss. Sure. <laughs> she don't look this heavy. Slim, we got to work fast tonight. Martha's been talking. You know what that means. Yeah. This has been a good spot, but we've stayed around just about as long as we can. 
Especially if Cassidy is going to get Snoopy. Cassidy? Yeah, a rancher from the Bar 20, always going around getting at everybody's business. Oh. So this is how we're going to handle it, Slim. You set the dynamite with fresh caps and see that the old man is locked in the tower until we're ready. And then come and help me load the pack horses. Bobby. Bobby, you hear that? They've set some of the contraption in motion. Yeah, that wheel is moving. Looks like this means quick action or this whole mountain will blow up. We'd better separate. We had? You're not afraid, are you? No, I just wanted to be around to uh, take care of you. Well, I'll try to manage. Now, you go around behind the tower and see if you can find some backs there that might not be guarded. I'm sure the old man must be up there. Then where will I find you? I don't think you'll have any trouble. In a few minutes, I will hunt it'll be easy to find where I am. Oh, gosh, I hope that contraption don't go off while we're up here in the mountain. Because then it might start to rain and me without my overshoes. Well, you can always take off your hat and soak your head. Uh, oh. Looks like we've been spotted. Keep down. Uh, I'd feel a lot better if we stuck together. It's just dark enough to show these boys how to play the old Indian game. Ordinary people. Right, we are. That's Cassidy. There he is now. All right, I got his head behind that rock. That's just his head. If I know anything about the way Cassidy operates, he's somewhere else. Come out of there, Webster. I'll touch a match to this keg of powder. Take another look, Cassidy. Sugar won't explode. This sugar will. I rolled this keg over from the powder house. Fool. Was that unlocked? I didn't have a chance, Watson. You wouldn't touch that off, Cassidy. Not with Martha in the tank. California. Yeah, Hubby, where are you? You got the girl out of the tank? All clear. All right, boys, I'm ready to set a match to this. Wait a minute, Cassidy. Slim, climb out of the window and get onto that big overhanging branch of the tree. And then when he comes out into the open, drop on him. Okay, Watson. I'm coming out, Cassidy. We give up. We know when we're beaten. Keep your hands high and no trick. Good work, Slim. There. I bet it's the first time Cassidy's ever been slugged over the head with his own gun. I'll go dump him in the tank where the girl was. No, I don't think it's better. It'll be easier that way. I put a separate charge under the funnel. When you bring the old man out to set the final charge, that'll go too. Well, all right, but hurry. That machinery's in motion, and the old man's the only one who knows how to stop it. Yeah, and he ain't going to. Not after all these months of wanting to set it off. All right, Joe. Snap into it. Tie those things down. Well, why was that machinery started before we're off this mountain? I, I don't like it. I know the timing. Let's just keep moving. Now go up to the tower and bring the old man down. Well, I don't know why it has to be done this way. Hey, Slim, is that you? Yeah, that's You me. cover Joe while he goes up to the tower. Cassidy's pal might still be around here. Where are you going? I'm getting out of here. There's too much powder on this mountain to suit me. Why, you dirty double crosser? The rest of you aren't worth saving anyway. You planned it this way. You never meant for us to get away. Now you're getting the idea. What a rat you are, Wetzel. <laughs> you were never quite quick enough on the draw, were you, Slim? You're covered, Wetzel. Drop that gun. Huh? Ca Cassidy, where, where are you? Put your hands up and be quick. Slim! Joe, come and help me! I 
high up on Eagle Nest Mountain, the Rainmaker's giant machinery takes closer to that uncertain moment of explosion. You up there on that tower, I got you covered. I give up. Don't shoot. I'll keep a beat on you till you get Mr. Billington safely down that ladder. I'm coming. Don't shoot. Hoppy, hoppy. Is that you? Yeah, I told you I'd make enough noise so you could find me. Yeah, but where were you for the last 15 minutes? Taking a nap. See how bad Slim's hurt. Looks like he's just winged. Bring him over here and I'll introduce you. Uh, inter, inter, uh, what? Uh, well, all right, Hoppy. How are you, Slim? Oh, I guess I'm all right, Mr. Cassidy. You got any word for a few minutes? Say, what is this? This California is Mr. Slim Davies, U.S. Deputy Marshal, under whom I've been working. Y you mean uh, you knew all the time about this? We, we came up here to get in trouble? We came here to stop illegal liquor traffic. And as I suspected, those reward posters were code signals to the runners. Well, doggone fooling me that you was coming up here to settle down. Oh, Mr. Cassidy, you're not hurt. I'm so thankful. You'll be more thankful to see someone else. Look who's coming down that ladder. Father! Come on over here, Mr. Billington. And you, Joe, up with your hands and no tricks. I, I give up, Cassidy. Oh, Father, Father. Martha, did you come up to see the climax to all my years of work? Tonight I will see success. My esteemed colleague has just informed me that everything is in readiness. But what do you mean? The machinery is already in motion, Martha. There's no choice but to go through with it. I must get to the control room quickly. When the giant wheel reaches the top, the great moment will be at hand. Mr. Cassidy, isn't there great danger? Not if you get over beyond that bridge. But my father in that control room. I don't know. All through the ages, man has sought a way to make it rain. No one has worked any harder than I have. And in a few seconds, the world will have the greatest gift science can give it. Rain. I'll go in the control room with you, Mr. Billington, if you like. Delighted, my friend. But There's a lot of dynamite around here. It's such a risk, Mr. Cassidy. Hurry up. The rest of you get back. Right in here, Mr. Cassidy. Now, close that door tightly. Well, uh, I don't believe I have a match. Here's one. With the touch of this match, civilization will acclaim... you, California? Yeah, 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 that's me. I mean, uh, I mean, this is me. Mr. Billington is here. He's just dazed, I think. I can't tell in the dark. Well, don't write no more matches around here. This whole mountain must be gunpowder. Why, it's, it's starting to rain. Father, are you hurt badly? Rain? Did somebody say rain? Oh, Jiminy, it is starting to sprinkle. I can hear the drops hitting my head. Do you feel all right, Father? Feel all right? Well, I'm the happiest man in the world. Can't you hear what these men are saying? It's starting to rain. I've done it. I've done it. My machine works. Do you hear me? I can make it rain. Can we help you down the trail, Miss Billington? Well, I... I don't think they better try to walk, Hoppy. Well, maybe not. California and I'll go ahead and send horses back for you. Oh, that'll be fine. Meanwhile, I think Father will enjoy just staying right here and feeling the rain on you. Yes. Yes, Martha. What about you, Slim? I'm all right, Mr. Cassidy. Well, you certainly helped us clean up a bad case tonight. Uh, I'll take charge of our prison. It's still raining, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, Mr. Billington. It's really raining. Oh, I'm so thankful. So thankful. Well, Rain. we better be saying it's goodbye the... now. Goodbye, Mr. Well, Cassidy. Well, along, hop along. Come on, California. Let's get going. Say, uh, 
Hoppy. Yeah? Wasn't there clouds gathering overhead this afternoon? Yes. Then it ain't necessarily the rain machine that started this. No. But on the other hand, it uh, could be. Yes. Well, uh, what do you think? I think we'd better get back to the bar 20 before you decide to make a rain machine. <laughs> along in California. And here's a special invitation to join them next time they ride out from the Bar 20 when, as usual, I have a hunch they'll get into plenty of action that spells trouble. Was Hopalong Cassidy from January 8, 1950, the rainmaker of Eagle Nest Mountain. Now coming up, we have an episode of the Red Skelton Show, first heard on October 9, 1949, and the name of this one was The Barbecue. Well, here I am. <laughs> well, I present Red Skelton. This must be the place. I just hope they don't present him to me, though. <laughs> I wouldn't have them, I wouldn't have them. Well, if you want to give me a box of pie, I'll take that. <laughs> well, being I'm here, I'd just as well stand in line and see the show. Be worth my while if I get the same seat I had last week. Just remember what part my drum. The Red Skelton Program, brought to you by Procter & Gamble's amazing new discovery for your whole family's wars. Five. With our star, Red Skelton, will be David Rose and his orchestra, the Four Knights, Lorene Tuttle, Pat McGee, and Dick Ryan, Martha Wentworth, John Holbrook, and me, Rod O'Connor. Busy and nervous at his home, we find MGM's problem kid busy with plans for a barbecue party, Red Barber. (laughs) What'd you get for betting on those things? (laughs) Red Barber. (laughs) Hello. Hello, I've already got it now, thank you. If it's an insurance man, you've got the wrong number. And if it's a pool taker, I, I don't want any. I've been taken. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sponsors, kid, or no sponsors, kid. That eight-year-old writer has got to go. <laughs> Who's calling? Well, Red, it's me, Rod O'Connor. Oh, well, what's new, Tubby? Can you loan me $50? Nothing new, huh? <laughs> I'm glad you called. Hey, I got a joke. I got a joke. Did you hear about the little kid in Australia that got a new boomerang for his birthday? And he went nuts trying to throw the old one away. <laughs> what do you need $50 for? Well, I'd like to bring something over when I come over to your barbecue dinner. No, just bring yourself. That will be quite a load. <laughs> We've got all the food we need. Uh, do you have enough Tide to do the dishes afterwards? Dishes? I got news for you. I'm serving on Tide box top. <laughs> 
After dinner, I'll stack and you'll erase. <laughs> now, come on, hurry over here, will you? Because got, you got to get a load of my new houseman, Ferdinand. Yeah, Miss Skelton. Yeah, yes, Ferdinand. I know I just work here, but today of all days, I do wish you wouldn't spend so much time on that phone. Expecting a call from a lady friend. Oh, now that's probably my lady friend now. I'll get it, I'll get it. Hello? Hello, Red. Oh, hiya, Dave. Do I know anybody by the name of Dave? No, you just have to hang up. Uh, sorry, Dave, you'll have to hang up. Now <laughs> look what you made me do. Uh, well, I'm sorry, M.S., but I know my lady friend has been trying to get through on this phone. Uh, Ferdinand, I'd like to remind you that you're new around here, uh-huh. and I can easily get someone to do half the work for twice the salary. <laughs> what it says, but it will have to do. (laughs) You sure are anxious to get... Yeah, that must be for me. You couldn't have any more friends. It might be one of my enemies, you know. Hello? Uh, Darling? Is it really you, darling? Oh, darling, I can't believe it's you. It is? Really, darling? Well, why did you hang up on darling? I told her I never wanted to speak to her again. <laughs> that boy has got to go, believe me. <laughs> well, I better go out and start the fire in my barbecue pit. Uh, Mr. S., yes. are you sure the neighbors won't mind you having a fire on the back stand? No, I've got one of those new little portable barbecues, and it, w- it won't be any trouble at all. Have you ever barbecued before? No, but I know how to rough it. I used to be a brownie. A brownie? <laughs> a brownie? <laughs> Yeah, I had curls until I was ten years old. <laughs> I'll never forget when I cut those curls off, the expression on that little boy's face that used to buy me milkshakes. <laughs> I was a scout, though. An eagle? No, I was more of an old crow. <laughs> Say, uh, has uh, Joe's Jet Market delivered the meat yet? No, the market said you ordered such cheap grated hamburger they couldn't deliver. Oh, they're getting awful hi-hat lately. The last time I bought meatballs, they wouldn't even wrap them up. <laughs> I had to bounce them home. <laughs> well, I'll get the fire going. Let me know when the meat arrives, will you? Yeah. Well, let's see. <laughs> what it says, whistle here. At the... <laughs> well, let's see now. I'll take this bag of charcoal and empty it in a little old barbecue. Now we'll take some newspapers to start the fire. I'm all ready to light it. Just take a match and strike it on the sole of my shoe. Ow! I forgot I was barefooted. <laughs> Who's coming? Hi, Skelton. What mm-hmm. you doing? Mr. Rest, you see who I do? Yeah, it's that Mr. Bragg, the guy that thinks that he knows it all. Why does he have to keep poking his nose in my business? Hiya, Mr. Bragg. Gonna have a barbecue, eh? No, I'm going to give myself a king-size hot foot. <laughs> I've done a lot of barbecue in my day, and I may say that this is not the way I do it. I was afraid it wasn't. But I'd like to do it my own way, if you don't mind. <laughs> Go right ahead. Yeah. I'm not gonna bother you. Yeah. I know how to light a fire. All you do is strike the match and light the papers. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> What's wrong? Papers are rolled up too tight. There. Now, if it's all right with you, I will light my fire. <laughs> I'm only standing here minding my own business. Yeah, well, I hope so. Do me a favor. Turn blue. 
here's the match. Well, here's one. Here, here. Now stand back while I light the papers. Uh, 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 uh. Now what? Charcoal's not piled up right. It should be flattened out more. And so should you. <laughs> yeah, I'll just flatten it out. There. Now, if you don't mind, I will light my fire. I suppose I'm using the wrong kind of matches now? Not at all. But first, you ought to sprinkle a little water on the charcoal to get some of the dust off it so it won't smoke so much. Oh, all right. Yeah. You go ahead. You do it. Do it your own way. There's a bucket of water. Just help yourself, White. Uh, if you insist. Now watch an old barbecue go to work. Take a bucket of water, pour a little on the charcoal. And down, down, down. Oh, that should do it. Now, like match, like papers. Would you sing a faster song? This is only a half-hour show. <laughs> well, it's awfully funny. What? Doesn't want a light. Let's try another match. Something go wrong, Mr. Bragg? Oh, no, no, no. This needs a little more oxygen. Now, try it again. The papers don't seem to want to burn, do they, Mr. Bragg? <laughs> no wonder. You got the papers too wet. <laughs> well, I can't do anything to help you there, brother. I knew you didn't know what you were doing in the first place. With all the manholes in town, he can't fall in one of them. <laughs> Hiya, Skelton. Hey, Red, you look like you're running a temperature. What's wrong? Oh, it's that Mr. Bragg again. He just fixed my charcoal so it won't burn. Here, start drying the charcoal with this towel, will you? I'll hang the newspapers on the line. Say, <laughs> this uh, charcoal is awful black. Have you ever tried using you-know-what on it? No, and don't you try either. Don't you ever think about his pie. Oh, hey, there's the four knights. Hiya, fellas. Hiya, Red. Here's the meat you order. How come you're delivering meat? Well, we stopped by the meat place, and the man asked us to bring it over. Well, thanks. I didn't think you were going to get here with <laughs> Hey, I may need a little entertainment for the barbecue. How about singing uh, The Lucky Old Son, huh? Silver lining. Let me 
You know, Procter & Gamble's Tide has become the largest-selling wash day product in America. The explanation is very simple. You women buy more Tide than any other wash day product because you know Tide outperforms any other wash day product. Tide gets clothes cleaner than any soap, any other suds, any other washing product known. Tide's really got what you want for wash day. You see, Tide, unlike soap, removes both dirt and soap film, too. Yet with all this amazing cleaning power, Tide is truly safe for all your washable colors. What's more, Tide actually brightens those soap-dulled colors. And white things? In hardest water, Tide gets shirts, towels, curtains, whiter than any other washing product known. And Tide? But then I'm not telling most of you women anything you don't know. After all, you're buying more Tide than any other wash day product in America. You know that no soap no other suds, no other washing product known will get your clothes as clean as Tide. Tide is dirt. Our Tide gets clothes cleaner than all of them. T-I-D-E, Tide. Well, is that charcoal dry yet, Rod? Yeah, I think it's dry enough to burn. Yeah, uh-oh. Look who's weeding up here. He's your friend. Talk to him. I don't want any part of him. Yeah, he looks like they took the bar away and he'll, he's still leaning. Hey, fella. Hey, fat boy. Fat boy. Oh, it's Willie Lump Lump. Uh, what do you want? Huh? What do you want? Oh, let's not get nosy, boy. Get lost. Uh, I got news for you. I am lost. Well, uh, where have you been, Fumi? Fumi? <laughs> I've been out to Santa Anita racetrack. I lost my shirt. I lost my shirt. Santa Anita track isn't even open. Hmm? I say, Santa Anita racetrack isn't even open. Why did they give me an old joke like this for? <laughs> you mean it ain't open? No wonder there wasn't many people out there. Willie, the horses aren't running at Santa Anita. Uh, so how could you lose your shirt? I ain't giving away any betting secrets to you. <laughs> You don't look right to me. You just don't look right. I've seen a lot of people in my day, but believe me, you just don't. Do you live around here? Yeah, you see that apartment house next door? I see that wing in the back? Yeah. Well, I live in the apartment on the top floor with my wife, her mother, and her mother's mother, and her mother's 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 mother, and her mother... Mother's Day around our place means something. 
got one old mother up there that's old enough to be her own mother. <laughs> a brilliant line in it, huh? See you later. Uh, hey, Red. You can come out now. He's gone. Hey, that guy better lay off of that stuff. He's getting a pinch bottle head. <laughs> Here, Rod, I found some more newspapers and a can of lighter fluid. Might help the fire to get started. Okay, I'll light the fire this time. Yeah. Hey, here's the meat, Rod. How does it look? How does it look? Oh, boy. Look at all that lovely gristle. <laughs> suet, my boy. It's suet. Will it stand up in court? <laughs> Hey, the, the, the charcoal's burning now. Hey, look at that <coughs> smoke. <coughs> Uh-oh, it's going right into Mrs. Fussy's window. Fine, that'll give her something to complain about. Mr. Skelton! Uh-oh. Mr. Skelton! Yeah, we've smoked her out. Here she comes. <laughs> Mr. Skelton, I had a hunch you were a firebug. But, Miss Fussy... Look. Mr. Skelton, I don't have to take that kind of talk from you. Do you realize that that smoke is going right into my kitchen window and my canary's inhaling it and he's too young to smoke? <laughs> I hope his T-zone is swollen. <laughs> what are you staring at? Now that I've lowered my pride and spoken to you, about that alarm clock of yours, it wakes me up every morning. Well, it didn't go off this morning. That's just it. Your alarm clock didn't go off. I overslept, and it loused up my whole day. <laughs> but I... Shifty one, ain't you? Look, Miss Fussy, why do we always have to be arguing? Would you rather we didn't argue? Yes, I would. Oh, so now you want to take away the only pleasure I get out of life. <laughs> well, I... What are neighbors for if you can't argue with them? Answer me that, corn pone. Well... <laughs> I thought that's what you'd say. <laughs> oh, how can you get? Look, I'm not. As a matter of fact, we're going to have a barbecue dinner tonight, and I thought you'd like to join us. You know I'm allergic to barbecue food. I'm sorry. If I'd have known, I wouldn't have asked. Oh, so now I'm not good enough to eat at your table. <laughs> oh, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. And if I was your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> Wait till John L. Lewis organizes the neighborhood, and I'll blast all you. I'll throw coal at you. I'll bat you over the head. You know, it's, it's funny how people change. When I first moved into this neighborhood, she wouldn't speak to me at all. Hi, fellas. Sorry oh, I'm late. Dave, it's about time you got here. Well, well, the portable Toscanini. Now, don't start picking on David. Yeah, blubber boy. I don't like your nasty references to my size. I may be small, but I'm little. <laughs> well, you're a lot of that up. <laughs> well, maybe so, but I've seen you in a couple of fights and you always get beat up. Well, that's because David is too much of a gentleman to hit below the belt and he's too short to hit anywhere else. Ah, <laughs> oh, we're only kidding you, David. Oh, yeah, no hard feelings, Dave. Let's shake hands. No, thanks. I just had a manicure. Now, look, I... <laughs> Forget it, will you? Oh, come on. Let's eat. No, let's drink. I feel like Phil Harris. <laughs> okay, here's your glass, David. What's in it? Lemonade with a twist of lime. Good. I need a bracer. <laughs> bracer. Well, don't drink it too fast. I won't have to drive you home again. You won't have to this time. I have my orchestra waiting out front in the bus. Uh, say, Dave, is Rafael Mendez, the world's most famous trumpet player, really going to be featured at your orchestra this week? Sure. Why do you think I'm making my boys rehearse Tico Tico? Hey, wait, hey, hey, wait, hold it. 
You hear the story about the little Mexican? What was the old work? He goes in the restaurant. He says, give to me two eggs. And the waiter says, how do you like them? He says, I love them. <laughs> hey, boy, Chico, Chico. <laughs> I think you women will agree that the most annoying thing about dishwashing is grease. And that's why I suggest that you try Procter & Gamble's Tide for dishes. Because Tide has really got the grease problem licked. Tide cuts grease like magic, even off the greasiest frying pans and broilers. Then, and here's the amazing part, Tide actually seems to make that grease disappear completely. The water feels fresh, clean, and pleasant. It's topped by oceans of billowy Tide suds kind to hand suds that really last, even in the hardest water. As for results, why, your dishes come out cleaner than any soap will get them. Shining, too, for unlike soap, Tide leaves no dulling film. 
so dishes and glasses rinse and dry sparkling, even without wiping. Yes, there's a completely new dishwashing experience in your first box of Tide. Try it. You'll see why women buy more Tide than any other washing product in America. Red, I hope you're not leaving those hamburgers on the grill too long. No, they see the charcoal uh, uh, cooks them slow. Mmm, smell that, eh? Are you mm. sure you know what you're doing? Oh, sure. Those hamburgers are getting blacker and smaller by the second. Well, see, that's the secret. Now, give me the salt. Mm-hmm. Now, give me that uh, garlic salt there. Now, give me the pepper. Now, give me just that hunk of garlic. Mm-hmm. Now, give me the airwick. <laughs> give me the bar- <laughs> no, no, give me a knife. Give me a knife. Knife? Yeah, I got to scrape some of this stuff off there. <laughs> the hamburger just disappeared. <laughs> oh, hey, this one looks good. Well, that's one of the cold. <laughs> Hey, watch these hamburgers while I run in the house and get some bums. The bun. bun. (laughs) Okay. Uh Uh-oh. Here comes real trouble. It's Junior and his mother. Well, hello, Mr. O'Connor. Hello, Lorraine. And Junior, hello, hello, hello. Ah, shut up. (laughs) Junior, watch your manners. Why, are they going to do something? (laughs) How you been, fatso? Why do you always call me fatso? I call him the way I see (laughs) him. Blubber boy, what's cooking? Oh, we're barbecuing some hamburgers. Oh, hamburgers. You mean that meat that had a nervous breakdown? Oh, that's good, that's good. <laughs> I think I will have one. Junior, keep your hands to yourself. What do you mean? Oh, oh yeah, baby, you broke me wrist. You broke me with a wrist. You broke me wrist. I did not break your wrist. <laughs> yeah, but then how come I can dangle it in five different directions? <laughs> I just hope that my handcuffs will, will still fit when you put me to bed at night. That's all Junior, I... Junior, that's enough. That's it. Yell. Go ahead. Yell. Make a scene. You yell at me again, I'll tell everybody that you used to be a burlesque queen. I was never any such thing. Oh, no. Okay, Fifi, on stage. Okay. Hand me my long V's and turn on the purple light. Hey, shit, <laughs> Well, you know, Lorraine, I'll bet Junior really doesn't mean to do anything wrong. Well, you got yourself a bet. I'll break you, bud. I'll break you. I don't know how you get that way. You certainly didn't get that mean streak from me, and you didn't get it from your father. Well, that just goes to prove it. I can do something on my own. <laughs> no, that's no, it. Oh, oh, no, I... I just touched one of them hot hamburgers, and I burned me with a finger. That's a good boy. Yeah. <laughs> vacation last summer, Lorraine? Oh, wonderful. Did you take Junior with you? She said it was wonderful, didn't she? Of course I wasn't alone. <laughs> we put Junior in the summer camp. Yeah, I had I did a six-week hitch up there. I spent the last two weeks in solitary confinement. Hey, did you ever get, did you ever go riding in a rubber boat out in, out in the water and have a weedle boy sitting up at the end of the boat like a little angel, you know? And then you fall off your sleep and then he spot a jackknife on your side of your hips and boom, down you go. <laughs> You know, Rod, I took lovely pictures at Carmel of John Nesbitt and Henry Miller. Mm-hmm. Would you like to come over and see them? It'll only take a second. Well, I've got to keep an eye on the barbecue. Oh, Junior will watch it. <laughs> come on, Rod. Well, the stage is set. <laughs> <laughs> now, I could just stand here and watch the barbecue like a good little kid, but life is too short, you know. <laughs> oh, that fire ain't doing too well either. Just got a little widow glow, no flames. What's this widow pan here? Looks like that stuff me pop fills his lighter with. Well, we just pour some of this on the coals and kind of perk that fire up a little. Oh, boy, look at that flame. Oh, it's too hot to pour any more on, so I just tossed the can into the fire. Wait, what a 
fire! What a fire! Boy, it's getting out of control. I better blow on it. What did I say? I gotta lay off of them chocolate cigarettes. I'm losing my... Well, I don't see how candy cigarettes could hurt me. I never inhaled, you know. Oh, goodness, that fire is really out of hand. Put the fire out. Yeah, put the oh. fire out. Junior, stand away from the fire. You no. might get burned, and I haven't finished paying for that suit yet. Yeah. <laughs> Turn the water off, Ray. The fire's out. Boy, you better put them hamburgers through the winger. They look awful soggy to me. You awful come soggy. with me, young man. I'm going to put you through the no, winger. No, no, I was only an innocent bystander. Then how did that fire start? Look, I found this can of lighter fluid in the charcoal. Well, you big, fat stool pigeon. <laughs> That young man, you're going to pay with the biggest spanking you've ever gotten. Oh, no, no, no. Let go of me here now. Let go of me here. Come on. You're going to spank me? Can I, you're going to pay me for what I've just done? Could I pay? Don't hit me! <laughs> I'm an innocent bystander, I tell you. An innocent bystander. I will be a bystander because when she gets through with me, I won't be able to sit down. I don't <laughs> Thanks for being with us and so on until next Sunday. <laughs> this is Red Skelton saying thanks. Believe me, we'll rehearse next week. <laughs> Red Skelton saying thanks for listening and thanks for buying more and more of that Wash Day Miracle Tide. Tide in, dirt out, T-I-D-E, Tide. Invest in a sure thing. It's good sense to support Red Feather Services. Give through your community chest and join us again next Sunday for the Red Skelton Show. Red Skelton is heard in this program through the courtesy of Metro Goldwyn Mayor. Oh, that boy has got This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that was the Red Skelton Show, originally broadcast October 9th, 1949, The Barbecue. Let's uh, have a little game show action, huh? Here's an episode of 20 Questions that was first uh, aired on June the 22nd in 1946. Is it animal or mineral? Is it a living American man? Could I hear it at the opera? Is it as big as a bowling ball? Would it match one of Crosby's shirts? Yes, everyone is playing 20 questions. And here's Bill Slater. Thank you, and hello, everyone. Welcome to 20 Questions. And here's how you play the game with us. You listeners send in subjects our questioners try to discover in 20 questions or fewer. If your subject is used, you win a year's subscription to Paget Magazine free. And if your subject can't be named within 20 questions, you get the magazine free the rest of your life, plus a grand surprise prize. In case of duplication or similarity, the decision of our judges will be final, and all entries become our property. A mystery voice offstage in a soundproof booth will tell you all at home what the subject is, while our studio guests here will know from a board that they alone can see. In other words, everybody will be in on the secret except our five eager questioners. And reading from left to right, our questioners are... Fred Van Deventer, well-known New York newscaster. Lawrence Renard, musician and teacher. Bobby McGuire, amazing 14-year-old schoolboy. Herb Palazzi, radio and motion picture producer. And our special guest tonight is one of America's favorite screen and stage stars, Mr. Francis Letter. 
welcome to 20 Questions, uh, Mr. Letter. And let's get going here on a subject that was contrived by Melvin Burnett, whose home is in York Village in the state of Maine. This subject is animal. This is the mystery voice. I'm telling the radio audience only that Bill's subject is the Easter Bunny. Okay, you people at home have been told. The studio audience knows what it is. Let's go. Van Devena? Is it a living American man? It is not a living American man. Mr. Palazzi? Uh, is it an animal in children's literature? Uh, it's an animal in children's literature, yes. Mr. Nine? Is it in a rhyme rather than a story? No, it's in both rhymes and stories. Mostly in stories. That's three questions. Van Devena? Is it a four-footed animal? It's a four-footed animal. Well... Miss Renard? Is it one particular animal we're after? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There are lots of versions of it, but it's one particular animal. Bobby? Is it of the canine family? Uh, dog? Yes. No, I'm sorry. Oh. I hate to be so dogmatic, but it isn't. No. That's six questions. Mr. Blaze? Is it in the deer family? And I'm not getting personal. No. <laughs> no, it's not in the deer family. Van de Venna? Is uh, this animal in its natural state edible? Uh, yes, mm-hmm, can be at. <laughs> Miss Renard? Is it a cow? No, I'm sorry, you must think of eating other things than cows. Eat cows, you get Eat cows. Eat what I can get these days. Miss, yes, of course. Mr. Palazzi? Is it a nice horse? No, it's not a nice horse. We don't eat horses. No, I should say not. Vandavena? Is it a lamb or of the sheep family? It's not of the sheep family, and that's 11 questions. Bobby? Is it a hog family? No, it's not of the hog family. That's 12 questions. We only have eight to go. There'll be a lot of people disappointed if you don't get this animal. Mr. Palais? Well, is it a very small animal? It's not very large. Is it a mouse? Now, is that two questions? Yes, that's two questions. That's 14 questions. It's not a mouse. Bobby? Okay. Is it a rabbit? It's a rabbit, Bobby. It, Van de Venner? Well, is it the Easter rabbit? It's the Easter bunny and 16 questions. Very well. Well, let's uh, see if Mrs. Inez Sharon of Burlington, Massachusetts can stump you all. She's thought up one that's uh, mineral. If the panel seeks, it shall find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, because that's the subject. All right, the mystery voice has told the people at home. Now the studio audience knows what it is. This is a toughie. Let's see if you can get this. Who's the first question? Miss Renard. Is it in its natural state? Yes, it's in its natural state. Bobby? Is it metallic? Uh, it's not, uh, metallic. Yes, I guess it is. Miss Renard? Is it a precious stone of some sort? It's not a precious... It's not a precious stone. Wait is a minute. A... Well, you want to go again, Miss Renard? Is it a precious metal, then? It's a precious metal. Is it that... gold? It's gold, Miss Renard. Is it real gold? Uh, I've never been there, but that's what they tell me. <laughs> Mr. Van Der Is it fictional? Uh, it's mentioned in fiction quite often. A certain gold. Mr. Letter? Is it, uh, does it appear as, uh, as a part uh, in an opera of, of Wagner? I don't believe so. Now, what you I don't believe so. No. Or, uh, in, uh, no. Miss Renard? Can this gold be seen, or has it ever been seen by anyone? Actually? I don't think it has ever been seen by anyone. Mr. Palazzi? Is it Midas's gold? No. I saw that in Walt Disney's <laughs> picture, didn't you? I don't know where you hang out. I... 
Miss Renard? Is it the goal at the end of the rainbow? It's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Well, you turned me back on that one. Let's see what you can do with one thought up by Miss Catherine Parker, whose home is in New York City. This, too, is animal. Bill Slater happens to be thinking of a motion picture actress, Anne Rutherford. All right, the mystery voice has told them at home. Everybody knows. Now here's Miss Renard after it. Is it a living American woman? It is a living American woman. <laughs> <laughs> she got three questions in one. <laughs> Now, Mr. Letter, I want you to look sharp on this one. Who has the second question? Van de Venner? Is this woman in any way connected with the government? No. Might be a more pleasant government if she were, but she isn't. <laughs> Mr. Letter? She's an actress. She's an actress. Bobby? Is she in the movies? She's in the movies, Bobby. Bobby? Uh, other than being just a stray star, uh, would she be connected with any uh, series of pictures? Yes, she was connected with one series of pictures. Van de Venner? Uh, is, she, uh, is she an elderly actress? Why, Fred, no. <laughs> Indeed, no. Did Let's she play. ever play with Mr. Lederer? I mean, on the screen. she has ever played with Mr. Letter on the screen, the answer is yes. Well, would it be Paulette Goddard? It's not Paulette Goddard. That's question number eight. Mr. Letter? Ginger Rogers? No, it's not Ginger Rogers. Mind I'm your own leading lady. <laughs> Van de Venner? Is she a brunette? Yeah. Francis? Yeah. Miss Renard? Has she been playing a great many years rather than uh, being very new? Uh, she's been playing a moderate number of years. I think that's a fair question. A fair answer. How many questions is that? That's 11 questions. Mr. Letter? Francis D. No, I'm sorry. It's not Francis D. It's you. You have... You have had so many women in your life on the screen, haven't you, Mr. Letter? Yeah, but the number of the brunettes are quite limited. Well, she always appeared brunette to me. Van de Venner? Uh, you said that she was in a, uh, in a series of pictures. That's a review. Uh, you mean you don't want me to charge you for that? Well, question? no, I'm, I'm asking for reaffirmation. That's right, yes. Uh, well, was she ever in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Hardy family series? I'm afraid she was. Uh, Anne Rutherford. Anne Rutherford. How do you Letter. like that? He can't remember playing with Ann Rutherford. Imagine. No. Oh, only He's been living on a rich diet. Ah, but ordinary. I hope you'll not have too much explaining to do to Miss Rutherford about all those other names you mentioned ahead of hers when you go back to Hollywood. Well, now that they got Ann Rutherford in 14 questions and only had to go 16 questions to get the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, let's try this subject here. Mrs. Roy Skaggins, whose home is in Rock Island in Illinois, thought this one up, and this one's mineral. The panel can't hear me as I tell you that the subject is Jesse James' revolver. You're doing pretty well tonight. This is a little bit harder. Bobby. You said this is mineral? This is mineral. Is it metallic? It's metallic. Is Van? it manufactured? It's manufactured. Van? Does it uh, have any moving parts? Yes, it's got one moving part, a couple of them. 
Miss Renine? I always have to ask this. Is it a class question or a specific article? Mm, it's a specific one you're after this time, Bobby. Uh, is this a musical instrument? No, it doesn't play good music at all. Not a musical instrument. Van de Venner? Is it most famous because of the person who owns it? That's right. Bobby? Is this person living? No. Van? Was he a man? Yes. Miss Renard? Was he fictional? He actually existed. That's ten questions. Mr. Blasey? Was he an inventor, a scientist? Uh, no, not that. <laughs> Mr. Van Venner? Was he an American? Yes. It's twelve questions. No, Bobby? Uh, was he a, uh, a statesman? No, he was scarcely a statesman. <laughs> Mr. Leather? Is it a car? No, the object's not a car. No, that's 14 now. Mr. Palazzi? Well, did he use it in the sport world? <laughs> <laughs> no. Indoor sports included. Uh, no, you don't, you don't consider what he used it for, sports. <laughs> Bobby? Uh, was this some sort of a weapon? It was a weapon, Bobby. Was it a gun? It was a gun, Bobby. That's 17 questions. We have three to go. Miss Renard? Was it a cowboy's gun? No, he was not a cowboy. Not best known as a cowboy. Bobby? Was he a gangster? He was an outlaw, Bobby. Jesse James? Jesse James on question number five. Well, Mrs. Skaggins almost got you on that with Jesse James' revolver. You had to go full 20 questions. He's pretty good, isn't he, Mr. Letter, Bobby? I don't know if he doesn't know the things beforehand. He surprises me. He surprises me, too. Well, now, let's take this one sent by Ralph Ebright, whose home is in Columbus, Ohio, and let's let the people at home play on this one, too. Let's not tip them off. Let's see if they can get it in as many questions as it takes our questioners here. This subject is mineral. The studio audience knows what it is. Now, let's see what kind of a record you can set on this. This is mineral. Van de Venner. Is it manufactured? Not manufactured. Bobby? Uh, is it metallic? No. Mr. Blaze? Was it connected with a famous person? No. No. Last question. Uh, Miss Renard? Is it stone? It's stone. Is That's it in its questions. natural state? It's in its natural state. Van de Venner? Is it in the United States? No, it's not. Mr. Blaze? Uh, is it in Ireland? No, it's not in Ireland. <laughs> you were thinking of the Blarney Stone, your old friend. Mr. Letter? Is it uh, a building, sir? Is it used as a building material? Uh, this particular one is not used as a building material, no. It's made of something that could be used as a building material, Mr. Letter. Bobby? Does this stone exist? Oh, sure, it exists. That's ten questions. Vandervan? Is it in Europe? It's in Europe. Bobby? Is it in England? No, or the British Isles? No. No, well, that's uh, 13 questions coming up now. This is number 13, just about to be asked. Miss Renard? Is it all stone, or could there be something else mixed in with it? No, what I have in mind, and what is generally designated by the phrase I have in mind, which I bet you wish you could read, is all stone. It's Ms. the Renard, Rock of Gibraltar? It's the Rock of Gibraltar. Very well done. I'm going to catch it when I get home. Yes, I should say you should. <laughs> Mr. Van Uh, Just for the record, I concede that it is the Rock of Gibraltar without question. But, of course, there oh, are manufactured fortifications and even a city right on the rock. Yes, but the rock wasn't manufactured, at least not by any of us no. mortals. Who do you I think wasn't you're <laughs> Well, this is a metropolitan audience. Now, here's question number six coming up. 
And I'd like you people at home to write in and tell us how many questions it took you to get it. It took our experts here exactly 14 questions to get the rock at Gibraltar. And incidentally, if you've got some at home, some subjects in your mind, why, why not write to us and send them in and see if we can stump these pretty smart people who haven't been stumped yet tonight, but I think the time is coming. Here is subject number six. Joan Norton, who incidentally is a member of the English class at Chevenet Academy at Highland Mills, New York, and the whole class sent us in subjects. And so let's see if this academy class of kids can stump you people. This subject is vegetable and mineral. This is the mystery voice once more. The subject is the place where the shot was fired that was heard round the world. The bridge at Concord. All right. Everybody, the people at home and the people in the studio know what it is. Everybody but you. And this is a toughie. Mr. Palais. Well, it, since it came from a class, is it a class question? No, it's a specific thing we're after. Bobby? Is it manufactured? Yes. Van de Is it liquid? No, it's not liquid. Mrs. Renard? Is it fictional? It's real. But it's been written about. Bobby? Is it a structure? It's a structure. It's five questions. Bobby, again. Does it exist? It exists. Van de Is it in the United States? It's in the United States. Bobby, again. Is it in or near the Atlantic seaboard? It's not far from the Atlantic seaboard. That's eight questions. Miss Renard? Is it in the state of New York? Not in New York State. Bobby? Is it in Pennsylvania? No, it's not in Pennsylvania. Ten questions. Mr. Palais? Is it in New England? It's in New England. Is it the Plymouth Rock? No, it's not the Plymouth Rock. That's 12 questions. I, I said this was constructed. Oh, excuse me. See. Mr. Van Der Is this in Boston? No, it's not in Boston. Miss Renard? Is it in Massachusetts? It's in Massachusetts. Fourteen questions now. Van Deventer again. Was it written about by uh, some of the so-called American masters of literature? Yes. Was it, was it the uh, House of Seven Gables? No, it was not we the House of it. Seven Gables. That's sixteen questions. Four it. left. Miss Renard? Was it the Concord Bridge? It was the bridge at Concord. That was my ace. Now, how in the world did you get that, Miss Renard? Well, you'd be surprised if I told you. Well, surprise me. I was reading that poem yesterday by the rude bridge that arched the flood, flood. you know? That's right. Well, it was in my well, mind. That's yes, well, it's good for you, but tough for the girls up at Chevenet Academy that you were, Chevenet Academy, that you were reading yesterday. Wish I had a mind. Yes, don't we all? I was it, reading the wrong thing, I guess. Uh, you seem to be doing very well. And now let's try subject number seven. I'm going to catch you people on this. I bet you don't see through this one. Fred Miller of LeMay, Missouri thought this up. And this is, uh, I should say, usually mineral. The subject, believe it or not, is a keyhole. All right. Everybody's been told. Now let's see you get this one. Van de Is this a class question? This is a class question. I want you to find any one of a number of these things. Van de again. Is it usable by man? Oh, sure. And very usable in a lot of ways by me. You know, you know, when we ask those silly questions, I'm just dying to know why people laugh. <laughs> You'll find out, but I don't think in 20 questions. Bobby? It's an ornamental. It's not particularly ornamental. It's much more useful than ornamental. Van de Venner? Is it metallic? Uh, ordinarily. Ordinarily. Van? Is it ordinarily used in the home? Yes, they have them in every home. How they're used in every home, I'm not going to comment on. But they have them in every home. Miss Renard? Does it have moving parts? Uh, not this thing itself. No, I wouldn't say so. Van de Is it normally to be found in the kitchen? 
Oh, I guess they have them in the kitchen. They're not as interesting there as they are other places. <laughs> Mr. Palazzi? Could I see my mother-in-law in it? Well, I don't know your mode of life. I rather hope not. That's nine questions now. Van de Venner? Does this uh, normally hang on a wall? No, it doesn't normally hang on a wall. That's nine questions. Mr. Letter? Is it an article that's uh, needed for hygiene? No, no. And after you... I hope after using it, you wouldn't even say hygiene. <laughs> Let's go for question number 11. Miss Renard? Is it a musical instrument? No, you can't play a tune on this. It's not a musical instrument. Van de Venner? Is it uh, small in size as distinguished from large in size? You know. Oh, yes. It's quite small in size. Yeah. Mr. Palazzi? I was... No. How many questions is that? This thing I had in mind was for hygiene. Yes, you've had 12 questions. You've had uh, 13, isn't it? 12. Miss Renard. Does it have anything to do with electricity? <laughs> no, it can be very shocking at times, but it has nothing to do with electricity. Van de Venner? Is it uh, wearing apparel at all? No, you wouldn't look well dressed in this. Bobby? Is it uh, rather something, nothing that is surrounded by something other than something solid? Yes, it's... Keyhole. It's a keyhole. Well, that's as amazing an exhibition as I think I've ever seen. Van de Venner? By gosh, I don't think there's anything mineral about a keyhole because there's nothing there. <laughs> Have you been looking lately? <laughs> Take a good look when you get home tonight. Did you ever see the hole in a donut? <laughs> no, but I, when I get my eye up to a keyhole, I mean, if I, <laughs> if I were to get my eye up to a keyhole, it's you, I said it's usually mineral. See, there. Well, anyway, you got it, and I didn't think you would. Let's see how you can do with this one. Uh, Mrs. L. Hannigan, whose home is in West Covington down in Kentucky, thought this one up, and I'm going to be very enigmatic about this one. You've been doing too well tonight. This subject is animal. They're five of a kind. Bill is thinking of the Dion Quintuplets. All right, the people at home know. People in the studio audience know. Let's see you get this one. I'm going to make it as tough as possible. Bobby? Is it human being? Yes. Van de Venner? Is it a living American man? No. Mr. Letter? Is it dead? No. <laughs> Miss Renard? Is it a woman? Uh, it's female. Is it a little girl? It's not a little girl. <laughs> five. Bobby? It's five little girls. It's intermission time on 20 Questions. And while the experts are taking a breather, here's music by Bill Bryan and the trio.
That was Bill Bryan and the trio. Now back to the master of ceremonies on 20 Questions, Bill Slater. Miss Ernestine Mincy sent this in. Her home is in Gainesville, Georgia. This is usually mineral. It's mineral. The panel doesn't know it yet, but the subject is April showers. It's mineral. See if you can get this in 20 questions, you smarties. Van Vanner? <laughs> is it a keyhole? No. <laughs> no. Miss Bernard? Is it manufactured? No. Bobby? Is it metallic? No. Is it in existence? Is it in existence? These things exist. Yes. Bobby? Is it a class question? Uh, not completely. It's a certain type of a bunch of things. Mr. <laughs> Palazzi? Is it in a children's story? Mentioned in children's stories, but not prominently. Van de Venner? May I review a moment? Did you say it was metallic? No. Is it metallic? No. No. It's composed of mineral substance. Palazzi? Is it made of glass? No. Bobby? Is it stone? No. Mr. Letter? Is it a household article? Uh, no. Sometimes gets into the house, but it shouldn't. Miss Renard? Is it cloth of some kind? What'd you say? Is it cloth of some kind? No, not near. That's 11 questions. Vandevin? Is it manufactured? Uh, that question's been asked. I'm not going to charge you for that. No. I answered that once. No. Bobby? Is it water? It's water, Bobby. You're very close. That's 12 questions. You have eight to go. Van de Venner? Is it a geographical body of water? No, it's not. Miss Renard? Is it a spring shower? Be more specific, yes. It's a An spring... April shower? It's an April shower. This is the most amazing record we've had yet. Just no question about it. I don't know what's gotten into you people tonight. Miss Renard's been reading. Miss Renard has indeed been reading. What do you think of it, Mr. Letter? It must be the inspiration you've brought to us. There's never been a record like this made on 20 questions. <laughs> they looked up before they went on the air. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try these I quickies here. I want to Now I'm moving into my own ones that I've thought up myself. These are tough. This, well, this first one I think is tough. I thought this up all by my little self and in one of my most vicious moments. This subject is quickie number one, vegetable, mineral, animal. Bill's subject is Hollywood. Now the mystery voice has told the people at home, now the people in the studio can see. Get this if you can. Van de Venner? Is it manufactured? Yes, partly. Is it a structure? No, partly. Uh, is, no, there, is there one of these things in New York City? No. Is it in existence? Oh, yes, sir. Is it uh, something like a statue or a carving of some sort? Mm, it's got those things in it, but that isn't it. But the letter? The sign? Uh, no. An advertising sign? No, but there are advertising signs in it. Bobby? I was going to say, is it a structure? Uh... I answered that once. I'm saying it was partly a structure. Can you say there's nothing like it in New York? No, I'll say there isn't. No. No. And you say it is in existence? Oh, very much so. Is it in the United States? Yes, sir. Yes, it's almost indigenous to the United States. I will look that up when I go home. Bobby? Uh, is this uh, used for entertainment purposes? Uh, oh, yes. Yes. Is it in a phrase or a slogan? Uh, not in any slogan I know of, Mr. Letter. Is it uh, made of paper? 
No, although some people are inclined to think that it's almost that flimsy at times, but it isn't. Van de Venner? Is it in the entertainment world? Yes. Is it a radio program? No, it's not a radio program, but you're, you're warmer than you think, Mr. Letter. Is it in the theater? No, it's not in a theater, but it's connected with the theater. Bobby? I didn't mind it. Oh, didn't you? <laughs> Is it someone's Hello? voice? No. No. Is it, a, uh, is it a script of any sort? No, it's vegetable, mineral, and animal all put together. A little different category from what you've been dealing in before. Is it a circus? No, it's not a circus. Miss Renard? Uh, does it have anything to do with sports? <laughs> Certain kinds of sports, yes. <laughs> Mr. Letter? Is it a radio commercial? No, it's not the radio commercial. Mr. Letter, you ought to know what this is, Bobby. Well, does it have anything to do with the movies? Yes, is a lot. The movie set or something like that? It's pretty close. You're pretty close, Did Bobby. You know, or... I said it was vegetable, mineral, and animal. Is it motion picture film? No, but you're awfully close. It's... Uh, is it a studio? No. Is it motion picture camera? No. It's more than that. It's got those things in it. Is it Hollywood? It's Hollywood, Mr. Hometown. That was far over 20 questions, but you were going against time, and it took you exactly three and a half minutes to get Hollywood, but it's taken a lot of other people a lot longer the telephone. than that. Yes. All right, friends, I think our question is tonight, and our guest, Mr. Francis Letter, has been most welcome and most helpful. I think our question is tonight is set an all-time high. If I were you people at home, I'd send in some of the toughest subjects I could think up and let me throw them at these people. Thank you, Bill Slater. You've been listening to 20 Questions with Bill Slater as your master of ceremonies. Music on the program is provided by the Bill Bryan Trio. As originally heard on June the 22nd, 1946, that was 20 questions. And we're going to end things up today with an episode of Wanted that was first broadcast July 28th, 1950. The name of this episode is Angel. Wanted. Wanted for jailbreak. Presented in the public interest, the program that brings you for the first time on the air, a nationwide manhunt in action. The actual facts to date on a man wanted. From the record, hear the -the on-the-spot reports of the people involved. Real names are used. Nothing is withheld. No one is protected. Here are the dramatic eyewitness accounts of a man wanted. Wanted for jailbreak. And now, Wanted's on-the-spot investigator, Walter McGraw. Good evening. Tonight and every week at this time, I take you around the country on a nationwide manhunt for a criminal who, at this very moment, is at large. From the actual eyewitnesses involved, I give you the information you need to recognize these fugitives so that you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you can recognize these criminals, call your local police station, and help the law enforcement agencies of this nation wipe out crime. And you can do it. If you've read your newspapers, you know that as a result of last week's wanted broadcast, an alert citizen was a valuable help to the police department of Cleveland, Ohio. For the full details on that, speaking to you from WTAM in Cleveland, listen to Chief of Homicide, 
Captain David Kerr. Edward Sadowski, who was wanted for the murder of Philip Ferrandi in Cleveland, Ohio, was shot and killed Wednesday, July the 26th, in a gun battle with police officers. His apprehension was a direct result of the radio program Wanted, carried by WTAM in Cleveland. This is what took place. We received information from a listener to the program Wanted, who had also read the Cleveland Press, who published his photo on the radio page of their paper that a subject who was identical with the photo and fitted the description in the program Wanted last Friday night was staying on the second floor at 3619 E74th Street. They further told us that he had just recently moved there. This information was acted upon by Detective Sergeant Tofan and Detective Kosovar and Patroma Lamaro of the Cleveland Police Department. They went to this location and on the second floor they found a small apartment they searched the place there and found a young woman there who stated that she had just been married a short time ago and that her husband was not in. They searched the place scantily and Detective Kosovar went into the bedroom, saw nothing there, but as we always do, he lifted up the mattress and looking through the springs, there was a man hid underneath the bed. He immediately commanded him to come out and as the man got about halfway out from underneath the bed, he immediately drew a revolver which he had hit under his stomach and started firing at the detectives. They immediately returned the fire, striking Sadowski three times in the head and twice in the chest. And luckily, his shots did not take effect just going into the wall. So he'll just be another number one murderer that this city will not have to be worried with again. Our congratulations to the National Broadcasting Company and Wanted. Captain Kerr, may I, on behalf of the National Broadcasting Company, congratulate you and your department on one of the finest jobs of police work to come to my attention in some time. The capture of Edward Sadowski is an example to the entire nation of the results that can be obtained when public-spirited citizens cooperate with an efficient police force. Now, what it continues on its crusade to bring to justice the fugitives who are now at large. Here is the factual account of the activities of a group of vicious young marauders who terrorized Philadelphia for 11 long months. Tonight, one of this group is wanted. He has been wanted for three years. He's an irresponsible, kill-crazy gangster known in gangdom as the Angel. The Angel heads the list of Philadelphia's most wanted men, so listen. The date, early in January 1940. The locale, Philadelphia's south side, the slum section. The voices you hear next are those of the actual people who, through no fault of their own, are involved in the case of the Angel. First, a report from Philadelphia's first detective division. I'm Detective Anthony Franchetti of the First Detective Division, Philadelphia Police Department. In November 1939, we received complaints from victims who had been robbed by a mob of hoodlums. These complaints run from burglary, hold-up, strong-arming, from petty larceny of $35 up to $3,500. Report after report came in. 
I was robbed by the gang. My name is Thomas F. Leary. I operate a wholesale beer distributing business under the name of Leary's at the northeast corner of Front and Dudley Street, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. One Saturday night between 9 and 9.30, three men came rushing into the place, swinging a revolver at me, and said, this is a stick-up. Who's got the money? I said, I have. Well, he said, give it to us. And another man then searched me and took the money. In the meantime, back in a little corner there, there was two brothers being covered by a short guy with a gun. One brother said, you better take the gun off of that man because he may die. He takes fits. And the guy said, if you keep your lousy mouth shut, I'll do that. But if you don't, I'll blow your guts out. Then they made us uh, all face the wall. I really was nervous myself. I was saying my Hail Marys. Then, after they left, we all hollered and went outside, and then the, the police come, the sirens blew, and that's all I can remember. I was robbed by the gang. Uh, I'm Anna A. Simon, cashier for Oakland Farms at 2703 uh, West Gordon Street, Philadelphia. I was sitting in my office counting the day's receipts when suddenly the door flung open, and in came a dark-complected man wearing a mask and dark glasses and flourishing a blue steel gun. Uh, he told me it was a holdup. He, uh, he's, he appeared very nervous as the gun was shaking while he covered me, and at the same time he was scooping up the cash from the drawer. They approximately uh, got $700 in cash, and off they went. I was robbed by the gang. My name is Bill George. I operate a restaurant and a cafe at 22nd and Spring Garden for the last 17 years. It was about 3.30 in the morning, and I saw a man walking in with a gun in his hands, and hollering and looking towards us and says, this is a hole up, this is a hole up. He was jumping up and down like he was dancing, more or less. We took his order and we walked in the back room, and then I discovered there was two more men in the kitchen had covered the two cooks that I had there. I guess we were scared, all of us. This is Detective Franchetti again. You have heard three witnesses of the 20 witnesses that had been robbed by this gang. 20 stories, which were all pretty alike. We know that there was two leaders of this mob. One was a tall, slender fella who always used a 32 caliber nickel-plated revolver. The little fella, who was dark-complected and Italian, he used a detective special 38 stub-nosed gun. This one man here, in nearly all the holdups, he would go in and always tell the victims, stick them up, this is a holdup, and if you move, I'll blow your guts out. We knew that these fellas would start out and go to a garage. And there they would steal a car, pick up several other members of the gang, and they would go out into the street, go into a store. The two would walk in, that is the tall fella and the Italian fella, with their pistols. They'd hold up the victim and use the same method there of holding up the people. We knew everything about this mob by the way they operated. Yes, Philadelphia police knew everything. They knew everything except one important detail. Who are they? Police played 
out lines to the underworld, dragging tipsters for information. And information came in. Half a dozen gun punks in town were named and tailed. Result? Tired detectives with tired feet, but no information. Then a totally unrelated incident occurred. A cold-blooded murder. Locale? An Italian friendship club, the San Francisco Beneficial Club, located in Philadelphia's tough south side. I am Detective John McCrory, 1st Detective Division, 33rd Police District. I received a phone call that there had been an argument and a shooting at the San Francisco Club at 8th and Latona Street. When I arrived there, I found not one, but two men badly wounded. I later identified these men as Dominic DeCaro and James DeCaro. Then had these men removed to St. Agnes Hospital. I am Dr. Ralph A. Rossi, resident physician of the St. Agnes Hospital. Uh, James DeCaro and Dominic DeCaro were brought to the receiving ward of this hospital in serious condition because of multiple bullet wounds. Uh, James, the father, never regained consciousness and died within 24 hours. But Dominic rallied sufficiently to be able to speak to the police. This is Detective Marty Kern of the Philadelphia Homicide Squad. Uh, we went to the St. Agnes Hospital and there interviewed Dominic DeCaro. And he stated that he had been to the San Francisco Club on a Saturday night, March the 9th and uh, had been beaten up by a gang of three men who entered the club. And one of the men he recognized. So on the following day, Sunday, Dominic and his father James decided to go to the San Francisco club. And while in there drinking, uh, Dominic recognized one of the men that had beaten him up. And with that, this man pulled out a revolver and started shooting, and one of the bullets struck James DeCaro, the father of Dominic, in the abdomen. Uh, Dominic then, seeing what happened, he went to his father's assistance, and in doing so, he was also struck by a bullet. At first, Dominic DeCaro refused to finger the two men who did the shooting. He said he wouldn't give the cops the time of day. <laughs> Finally, under questioning, the wounded Dominic told the story of two men who came into the Friendship Club. He could only identify one of them. That one was named William O'Neill. First stop for any Philadelphia pickup squad are the hangouts, the bars, the dives, the cafes. Pinto's Cafe, a long, narrow room, a bar on one side, tables and booths on the other, dark even at noon, crowded with nervous men. My name is Daniel O'Mahony, detective attached to the Homicide Squad of the Philadelphia Detective Bureau. We received information from a patrolman that three men had been seen entering a cafe at the southwest corner of 10th and Watkins Street. And I accompanied Captain Smart, Sergeant Zimmy, and Detective Savage to that location. When the three men saw us, they recognized us and ran. They were subsequently captured, and one of these men was William O'Neill. He made and signed a typewritten statement that he was in on the shooting of James DeCaro and also DeCaro's son, Dominic. His story was 
that he had a fight with Dominic. Dominic told his father, and the father was going to get O'Neill. That is why O'Neill and a friend went to the San Francisco Mutual Club to meet the DeCaros. As the result, DeCaro was shot dead. O'Neill's companion at that time was Fred Tenuto. Fred Tenuto. Fred Tenuto was a name familiar to the police. He had a record of petty crimes dating back to 1930. Police went to their files and found a picture of him. They took this picture to the witnesses of the DeCaro murder and... He's the one shot, DeCaro. Yeah, that's the killer, all right. Yeah, he's the punk who murdered the old man. Now, a second arrest on site order was issued. Once again, police went out, this time to get Tenuto. Fred Tenuto, alias Frank Pinto, alias Durso Thornberry, alias... The Angel. My name is Frank T. Zemi. I'm police sergeant attached to the 33rd Police District. We had received a phone call from Patrolman DeVito that he noticed Tenuti going into a tap room at the southwest corner of 10th and Watkins Street. Detective Greik and myself, along with the acting captain, immediately went out there. I, with Officer DeVito, tucked the front door. Detective Greik and the acting captain, Smart, tucked the back door. We recognized Tanuti sitting in the booth. I immediately reached for him, and he pulled out a 38 caliber Colt revolver, detective model. Uh, we grabbed him, and we tucked them all over to the, the detective bureau, and the gun, the revolver rather, we send up to Lieutenant Spangler, the billetistic expert of the police department. This is Lieutenant George R. Spangler, charge of the ballistic laboratory, Philadelphia Police received a revolver which had been confiscated from Fred Tenuto, which is a blue steel Colt caliber 38 S&W special. Visible serial numbers mutilated. Secret serial number 397-206, model detective special. We later determined this particular revolver in question was used in numerous holdup and robberies. I turned this report over to the homicide division of our bureau. This is Detective Dennis McCulgan of the Homicide Squad at Philadelphia Police Department. Uh, after we received our report from Lieutenant Spangler, we were convinced that Tenuto was the killer of DeCaro. Uh, in examining the gun, we noticed four notches on there. One of these, no doubt, was for DeCaro. The other three was for other gangsters that we couldn't account for. We questioned Tenuto about his activities, and of course he wouldn't talk, he wouldn't tell us anything. But our information, uh, this Tenuto was a uh, gang killer and killed for pay. The department was interested in other things besides just a second-degree murder rap that we had on him. Uh, we understand from our information that he was the key man in a hold-up mob that was terrorizing Philadelphia for the past 11 months. 
Now police compared Tenuto to the so-called tough guy of Philadelphia's hoodlum gang. Young, 23 to 25. Italian-looking, nervous, always dancing up and down. He carries a 38 caliber blue steel snub-nosed Colt revolver, detective special. He enjoys telling his victims he's going to let them have it in the guts. Both DeCaros had been shot in the abdominal region. Fred Tenuto fit the description of the much-looked-for tough guy right down the line. Now police had some questions for him. They wanted the names of the other men in the gang. Charles E. Brown, acting lieutenant of detectives, commanding 1st Detective Division. As a result of investigation by detectives of these series of holdups and shootings, when Tenuto was brought to the 1st Detective Division headquarters and in this very room, he was the first to cringe and implicate nine others. He, Tenuto, who was always the tough guy and in holdups, always exclaimed, I will blow your guts out, cringed, and gave all the information which eventually sent himself and nine others to our local penitentiary for terms from 136 to 261 years. On June 17, 1940, Frederick Tenuto and William O'Neill were adjudged guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced from 10 to 20 years in Eastern State Penitentiary. The court said... That was a pretty cold-blooded shooting. You just missed first degree by a hair, Tenuto. The court had a further conviction for the angel, for robbery by holdup. A second conviction brought a second sentence from 20, 10 to 20 years in Eastern Penn. Both sentences were to run concurrently. Once again, Walter McGraw. Thus ended phase one of the angel's career. Now, the second phase. Although Tenuto was obviously a tough cookie, prison officials felt because of his youth that another attempt at rehabilitation should be made. So, instead of sending him to the state penitentiary, Tenuto was taken to the farm, the Greatersford division of the Eastern State Pen. Tenuto at Greatersford. Tenuto on the farm and in the shops. He worked hard. He worked hard figuring out a plan to get away, and only two years after his incarceration, he broke out. Escape number one. But the break wasn't worth it. He was at liberty only one day. Then he was re-caught and re-sentenced with an additional 10-year penalty sentence for jailbreak. This time, Tenuto was transferred as an incorrigible. This time, he was returned to the state penitentiary in Philadelphia, the big house. Then came escape number two. Fred Tenuto had befriended one of this country's smartest criminals, Willie the Actor Sutton. Under Sutton's expert leadership, Tenuto helped dig a 99-foot tunnel under the prison walls. Through stone and concrete, 11 of Pennsylvania's most desperate men had crawled to freedom. 11 men broke out, but within 48 hours, 9 out of that original 11 were caught. Only 2 remained free, James Van Sant and Frederick the Angel Tenuto. Tenuto's so-called friends, probably mindful of his willingness to talk to the Philadelphia police, were anxious to remove him from circulation. So anxious, in fact, that immediate information sifted back to the police. Van Sant and the Angel lit out of Philly right after the break. I have it, they're hiding out near West 130th Street in little old New York. They're with an ex-con named Quinn. 
Philadelphia didn't want to flush their quarry by sending out detectives who might be known to the boys. Instead, they picked two young men who were still trainees, unknown to the underworld. They were sent to New York's Upper West Side. My name is Richard Doyle, Jr. I was one of the two men who were sent to New York to try to locate Fred Sanudo, Van Zandt, and Michael Quinn. We got dressed in old clothes as laborers and hung around the neighborhood for three or four days. One warm night, about two o'clock in the morning, we decided to go back to Philadelphia, but to take one more look around at the hangouts on Amsterdam Avenue. Coming to 133rd Street, there was a tap room on a corner, and looking in the window, we saw a young Italian boy standing at the end of the bar. We went in and stood at the end of the bar so that we could get a good look at him, and we noticed a particular fold in his ear that identified him as being Fred Tenuto. At that time, there was a cigarette shortage in the country, and we asked the bartender if he had any cigarettes to sell. He said that he hadn't, but Tenuto had a carton of cigarettes and volunteered a couple of packs to us. We then talked to him about the cigarettes, and we established definitely that he was Fred Tenuto. We left the tap room and waited across the street to determine what our plan of action would be. We noticed that he was buying some beer to take out of the place in cartons, and when he left the place, my partner, Chris Henningsen, followed him. A careful tail job. These two young detectives watched the angel mount the stairs of a brownstone house and disappear inside. Then Van Sant, Tenuto, and Quinn came out and walked down the street in single file to a restaurant. Young Doyle and Henningsen alerted the New York and Philadelphia police departments for a pickup. Squad cars without sirens. They formed a dragnet around the restaurant block. An experienced Philadelphia detective named Litvin joined young Doyle and Henningsen, and all three went in for the pickup. Them three hoods was busy eating turkey when the dicks come in. The pickup was a snap. Once more, Fred the Angel Tenuto was returned to Philadelphia. Once more, the Angel was transferred. He and four of the other convicts who had planned to break an eastern pen were taken to another prison, to Holmesburg, escape-proof Holmesburg, the toughest penitentiary in Pennsylvania. Once again, Tenuto was penalized and given an additional 10 years for jailbreak. Total sentence now, 40 years. Now, Tenuto started a third phase in his career, and for two full years, Tenuto behaved. Then, on February 10th, 1947, Tenuto and four of the men who had engineered the Eastern State break went to work again. It started at 2 a.m. Tenuto and a pal Walden had sought open their cells. They were hiding in the corridor, waiting for a guard named William Skelton to make his routine inspection of cell block D. When the guard enters the hallway, Tenuto jumps him. He has a 38 revolver, see? And they use Skelton as a shield and get the jail keys from another guard. Then it was an easy matter. With the keys, they opened up the other cells and get three other convicts loose. Now the gang, still using Skelton as a shield, headed down the stairs through the engineering room to the prison wall. They grabbed two ladders on their way. The break was easy. Uh, this is uh, Robert J. Beveridge, the warden of Philadelphia County Prison at Holmesburg, Philadelphia. The band that you hear playing is our band practicing in the background. In February 1947, 2.30 uh, in the morning, very cold, very cold morning, snowing, I was notified that uh, some prisoners had escaped over the back wall of the prison. In less than an hour, they corralled these men in the yard of a restaurant on Front Street conducted by a relation of Tenuta's. Their idea there was to get there and get in the house and change clothes and disperse 
different directions. But three of them were caught, and Tenuto and Sutton made a break for the fence and made it with a police shooting at him. Jailbreak number three. Now Fred the Angel Tenuto and the notorious Willie Sutton were loose, and they were wanted. It is not our function here to determine the guilt or innocence of a man, nor do we intend to. But according to the facts you've heard tonight, and or other pertinent material, Frederick the Angel Tenuto is wanted. Here again is Walter McGraw. You can help find Fred Tenuto, but to do so, you must be informed of all the facts. What does he look like? How does he dress? What are his habits? These we will give you, so stand by. How can you recognize him? Listen, and listen carefully. This is Major Tease, Deputy Warden, the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, PA. This is an official description of Frederick Tenuto. Age 35, height 5'5", weight 135, build medium, complexion dark, hair black, eyes dark brown, imperfect tattoo of SJ on left forearm outer, now back to Walter McGraw in New York. Only one more voice to add to the sum total you've heard tonight. The voice of the underworld. Fred Tenuto. A very nervous guy, Tenuto. He's strictly a killer. And he likes to kill. You think he's brave. He's not brave. He's a rat. And he's plenty yellow, that boy. And this guy sings like a canary. He'd squeal on his best friend for a buck. And when he drinks, and he can drink plenty, that guy would squeal for a half a buck. The word around has it that if the cops don't get him pretty soon, there won't be any Tenuto left to get. If you have no other way of seeing a picture of Fred Tenuto, Go down to your local post office. A poster with his picture is on the wall. Study that face. Frederick Tenuto, alias the Angel, doesn't look like one. He's 35 years old, a short man, 5 feet 6 and a quarter inches tall. Weight 136 pounds. Dark brown hair, dark chestnut eyes, dark complexion. Deep set eyes, broad elongated nose. Thick, heavy lips. He's a sloppy dresser given to loud colors. Ladies and gentlemen, there are few men who actually enjoy killing people. There are few mentalities so twisted. But Fred the Angel Tenuto derives physical satisfaction out of this business of death. He has a twisted mind, a strange mentality. Not bright or alert, he has an animal cunning. It's not necessary for me to warn you that he's dangerous. Don't try to capture him yourself, but report all information immediately. Now, this is Walter McGraw saying once again, keep on the lookout. Our country has enough trouble right now without harboring gangsters. There's no time like now to wipe out crime. Be with us again next week when you will hear the actual people involved give their eyewitness accounts of the dope fiend of the West who is wanted. Wanted for jailbreak.
All material heard on tonight's program was factual, from the record. Real names were used. No one was protected. Tonight's report was written by P.L. Mayer. Music was written by Morris Mamorski and conducted by Elliot Jacoby. The narrator was Fred Collins. Wanted was supervised for NBC by James Kovac and was produced and directed by Walter McGraw. Jimmy Dorsey brings you the sports newsreel next on NBC. there you have it the old time radio grab bag number seven as heard on the best old time radio podcast hope you enjoyed it we'll be back uh, tomorrow with an archive show and then on monday with a comedy on tuesday with a drama wednesday with a mystery and on thursday with the western this is bob bro i'm so glad you stopped by and i am so glad you met me have a great weekend everybody